phone for a 10 step. Okay. I'm coming with a 50-year-old female. She's a restrained driver in a motor vehicle accident. She was T-bone. She has a bleeding uh, wound on the right side of her head. She is altered. Right now, we are about 10 minutes out still. Last pressure I got was 126 over 94, heart rate of 90. Got two lines established on the CC. Okay. What do you think her GCS is right now? Let's see. So... Verbal of four, still arousable to voice. Um, or I'm sorry, eyes verbal of two. That's fine. Is she protecting her airway? She's protecting her own airway. Yes. Okay, and how far are you? Uh, eight minutes or so. Okay, see you there. Really, what people want is an exam. Nobody actually wants a number. Do you on eight? Do you on eight? Okay, you're clear. Stand by for your base. Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. I'm your host, Ross Orpit, and my co-host, Will Berry, is joining me today to interview someone who's no stranger to the show, Whitney Barrett. Whitney, like I said, is no stranger here, but it's been a little while since we last talked with her, and she's acquired a few new titles since then. She is now a faculty member at the University of New Mexico's emergency department. Dr. Whitney Barrett is board certified in emergency medicine and EMS. She is a part of the University of New Mexico EMS consortium, and she is on the medical direction team for the EMS Academy through the University of New Mexico School of Medicine, and she's the medical director for Valencia County, New Mexico. Whitney is back because she has a bone to pick with one of the staples of emergency medicine, and that is the Glasgow Coma Score. I'm joined by my co-host today, Will Berry, to help me figure out why it is that Whitney hates the GCS so much. Whitney. What's up with the Glasgow Coma Score? Thanks, Ross. It's nice to be back. I've had a problem with GCS for a while now and didn't actually think that anybody else had a problem with it. You know, it's part of like everything that we do in emergency medicine. Everyone always wants to know, well, what was the GCS? We've now linked it to things like, you know, ongoing trauma care, cardiac arrest, prognosis. And sometimes we just use it for a good old altered mental status. I was reviewing a chart the other day and it was somebody who was just septic and we got a good GCS on them. And if we're honest, I think, or maybe if it's just if I'm honest, most of the time when people ask me that directly, I just kind of ballpark it. If the patient falls somewhere between four and 13, I, I get panicked. It involves math. I can never keep it all straight. And so wait, wait, time out. Are you telling me you can't (laughs) tell me the difference right now between a GCS of nine and a GCS of 10? No. And it could be a lot of different things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I've, I've casually pulled a handful of other paramedics. I've been reassured that the GCS is always either 15, 13, nine, seven or three. Like there's not any other numbers outside of that. And so, you know, if we are honest about that piece of it, I've often wondered, well, like, what's the point? Plus, 
I think many of us have had the experience where somebody gives you a number, but like to your point before, what is a number of 10 really mean? It could mean a lot of different things depending on where those deficits are. And so if we're making the number up and the number itself could mean a lot of different things and it involved that I had to do math, I was frustrated that anybody cared what it was. <laughs> Fair enough. Talk to me, how, how does this normally go in the real world? In the real world and how we see it play out, somebody shows up on scene. In theory, this just should be applied to trauma patients. And I think we'll talk about this more later. But trauma patient... Somebody maybe assesses what their GCS actually is, maybe doesn't actually assess it. They call into the hospital. They're like, we're bringing a patient in and the GCS is X, Y, or Z because everyone's been told you're always supposed to provide what is the GCS. And then in the hospital, we start making decisions in theory about what that GCS was, how many resources we're bringing, do we think they need to be intubated, all sorts of decisions that are made based on theoretically, this number that may or may not be provided. All right, Whitney, I guess we should start at the beginning. How was the Glasgow Coma score developed and where did it come from? I guess a very brief history class here. It was actually developed in 1974 by two physicians who designed it to be used in a neurosurgical unit as like a daily evaluation to document the subtle changes that occurred in their patient's level of coma. It wasn't ever designed to mean something as a combined score for sure. And it also wasn't even initially meant to be categorized into eyes, verbal, motor. It was really just specific exam findings they were looking for to see if there was change over time. And that was the initial indication for using the GCS was to, in a hospital unit, figure out if people are getting better or worse over time. How do we end up with it in the acute setting evaluating an emergent patient? It's crazy because I think as doctors, and I think also in the pre-hospital world as well, we love numbers, right? We love scores. We, we love to be able to say that if you get a specific data point, it means X, Y, or Z. And we really just couldn't help ourselves. In spite of the physicians that developed this score, really arguing against this tendency to combine all the things, the rest of the medical community was like, nope, this is what we're doing. And so as we've all experienced by the number of times that you have to document the GCS someplace or report it as part of your presentation, it has really become like the only acceptable marker in many times for mental status, especially in the trauma and neurosurgical patient. It has this assumed face validity. Part of that is just historical and very little of it is actually rooted in sort of good science. Recently, I had a patient that came in who had a head injury, but actually more importantly had a C-spine injury and was completely paralyzed. If you calculate his GCS, his GCS is 10 because he's not moving any of his extremities. We can all appreciate that him opening his eyes, being able to talk to us, tells us a lot more about his mental status than just the GCS of 10. Because a GCS of 10 could also be somebody who is only opening their eyes to pain, has incomprehensible words, and localizes from a motor standpoint to pain. And so those two tens are very, very different. So the fact that we could use one number to describe a patient and think it means something is kind of insane. Well, and this is hard to describe on a 
more audio medium, but there's only one numeric combination that gets you a 15. There's only one numeric combination that gets you a three. As you go towards the middle, there are more combinations that equal the numbers in the middle. So even if you are really skilled at accurately assessing Glasgow Coma Scale, there are multiple different permutations that get you a 10. So it doesn't really tell you anything. Exactly. Yeah. And then I had to do math and I probably made up the number anyways. And so what are we actually doing? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the more realistic. <laughs> how predictive is it? Like how accurate is it at predicting anything? You know, in terms of outcomes or mortality, lower numbers are associated with worse mortality, which I think practically we know already anyways, right? What you do with those numbers in between 3 and 13, since all those numbers mean something different potentially, I think if you really dig into the root of all this, I, I think it probably doesn't actually help us that much either. If we want to talk about sort of putting this in perspective with how well it prognosticates, one author in particular said, the GCS sensitivity and specificity combinations are similar to the ability of weather forecasters to predict rain. So not very good. That's amazing. Okay, so what is the current goal of the GCS as we use it in the pre-hospital setting? And, and why is it a bad tool for that goal? I spent some time thinking about this, and actually there was a great article in the Annals a couple of years ago that really beat about some of this conversation. Mostly the GCS is used as a triage tool, and that is to help pre-hospital providers decide if they have options, which patients might need a trauma center versus might be able to go to a lower level of care. So this GCS of less than 13 has been established in the in the literature as a patient with a GCS less than 13 probably benefits for all of the reasons that we've talked about, increased mortality, et cetera, from being transported to a level one trauma center. And a patient who has a GCS over 13 and is trauma probably needs a trauma center, but probably doesn't need a level one trauma center. Based on what? <laughs> well, I didn't get into that. We, we can talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but, but you're right. It's, you know, I think there's maybe a little bit more purchase here because at those far ends of GCS where you've got, you know, a GCS of 13, 14, 15, and when you have those lower numbers like three and four, those tend to be more accurate. We're probably more consistent at being able to assess those. But those ones in the middle, as we've discussed, are kind of anybody's best guess. I think there's other applications of the GCS that aren't just this sort of what really ends up being like a dichotomous decision where some places, and we've worked in in some of those, use the GCS also as a indicator for what level of activation whatever terminology or what level of trauma alert or whatnot that might be warranted for a particular patient. So there might actually be like two branch points within the GCS that are used, but from a trauma standpoint, it's really the one that is most well published on is sort of that first one, which is a GCS less than 13, needing the highest level trauma center possible. It's interesting because we've certainly applied GCS to a handful of other 
things, including we've all heard a GCS less than eight or GCS of eight in debate, right? Um, it's somehow a marker that maybe they're not protecting their airway, which we could argue that too. And it's also very dynamic, right? So, I mean, it changes over time. So which which GCS matters at like our initial GCS or when they arrive at the emergency department or... Yeah, it, it's a great point. And I actually, when we were talking about the topic, I reflected and I'm pretty sure Will was the one that was on this call with me. I think it was in Broncos Stadium. Maybe it was at the Rockies game. A patient had fallen and had a pretty significant head injury. And we kind of looked at each other and, you know, it was like, I think he needs to be intubated, right? Like when we first got him, he was pretty unresponsive. He was completely unresponsive. And so he got intubated. And when I followed up on him, he was, by the time he got to the hospital, he's like moving things and fighting the tube and everything else. And, and it really just drove home this point of like, well, yeah, like maybe if we just supported his airway for a little bit, he was going to wake up, but you know, which GCS matters? Is it the first one? And that's the one that drives our management. Is it the one that's reported when you give report to the hospital? You know, they looked at this in one of the trauma registry studies, the change in GCS from pre-hospital versus in-hospital score dependent on how long the transport time was. And so, you know, they saw that there was obviously a bigger difference in pre-hospital score and in-hospital score with longer transports. What's curious about that, though, is like, is the difference in score the thing that matters or is it the trajectory of the score, right? Like, is it that they got worse and and that's really the important piece of information or that they were getting better? Is that the more important piece of information to communicate other than rather than just like, here was the number? Well, and you're going to have two different providers getting that score, right? You're going to have the pre-hospital providers getting that score. Then you're going to have the emergency department getting that score. How How good are they at coming up with the same numbers? So this is one of the things that was most striking to me when looking at this. And there's actually a surprising number of studies out there that compare, you know, nurses to each other and how much agreement there are between the scores. But one of them compared two emergency physicians and they found as low as 38% agreement between two emergency physicians and about 8% (laughs) less than half the time. Yes. And interestingly, about a third of those times when there was a difference, it was actually by more than two points. And I think that's actually, if if we think the GCS is significant, <laughs> difference in two points should also be significant. Um, so we're really bad at calculating the GCS. Apparently. Not to mention, when you're trying to calculate it, you're you're trying to come up with three different scores, all of which have a different maximum, and then add those three scores together. Totally. You know, that sounds like really hard math. <laughs> it's, it's really hard math. I actually, you know, in my own practice have stopped ever asking for GCS because I don't think it really matters. And also because I don't want anybody to ask me for the GCS. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I can come up with it. You know, it's just an extra cognitive load. People have tried a lot of different things to improve sort of this inner reader reliability and agreement in scores, looking at note cards, reference sheets, all that other sort of thing. But I think if we boil it back down to like, if it doesn't actually matter in our care, why do we bother with the extra cognitive load with that? I think that's a fair point. And then the next thing I think you got to talk about is factoring in like 
differences in patients, like whether a patient's intubated or whether they're sedated or intoxicated or anything like that. How does, how does the GCS play into those various patients? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all sort of experienced this in one way or another, whether we're trying to calculate a GCS on the patient or not. Establishing mental status baseline is incredibly hard, especially with some of our patients who might have dementia or whatever else. Patients with spinal cord injuries, right? If at baseline, you, you know, the patient is paraplegic, what do you do about their GCS score or a quadriplegic even? If they don't speak your language and it's an issue of not understanding the questions, like what do you do with that? You know, a single number totally doesn't account for any of those variables. What cracks me up is, is then we've, so we realize that a single number doesn't account for this. So rather than saying like, all right, this is a flawed system, we just decided, all right, well, let's make it more complicated and add letters to it. So not only do you have to do math and figure out the number, but then you have to figure out a letter to associate to. So if they're intubated, you're going to do a GCS of 3T. Or say you provided sedation, you're going to have a GCS of 8S. Or then we have pediatrics, and and so you can't use this if the if the pediatrics less than five, because there's a whole different scoring system for them and less than five, you split that scoring system between like a pre-verbal and verbal and <laughs> just get lost. Uh, okay. So it sucks. <laughs> so the GTS sucks. So then what are there any alternatives? What's the best way? What's the best way for me as a paramedic to try to communicate to both of you, the mental status that I'm seeing in front of me? Fair enough. It's a great question. If you get on Google, if you jump into PubMed, you can find people who have come up with tons of different scores to try and simplify this, what seems to be an overly complex process. There are a couple, though, that I think have sort of risen to the top. And actually, the most recent American College of Surgeon triage guidelines have adopted one of them. It is just the motor score of the GCS, which is sometimes referred to as MGCS, and saying, really, if the patient has anything but a six. So if they, if they can do everything, they get a six and that's great. If it's anything less than that, then that is equivalent to getting a GCS of 13 or less. And those patients should go to the highest level trauma center available. There's another iteration of that, which is called the simplified motor score, which is also like I think we just get in our own way trying to make these <laughs> yeah. scores. But the simplified motor score is basically the motor GCS, but they assign different points to it. With the simplified motor score, if the patient obeys commands, they get a two. If they localize pain, they get a one. And if they withdraw or anything less than that, they get a zero. Then kind of leads you to the point of like, well, should it just be like a binary decision. Yeah. Do they follow commands or not? And if they don't follow commands, one more piece of reason why they should go to a highest level trauma center available. And if they follow all their commands, you got to find some other reason why they would need a level one trauma center. Yeah. It starts, I'm totally with you. It starts <laughs> to blow my, we have this incessant need to just put a number to something because we feel like that makes it more objective, even though that number is based on a very subjective assessment by our providers, by myself. And so if we're just saying like, Hey, do they, or do they don't follow commands? Why do I need to put a number to that? Or are we saying, do they follow commands or do they localize pain or do they do anything less than that? Why can't I just say that? Why do I have to memorize a number that's associated with that? 
It's totally true. It's like, what is your exam, right? Like, what is your patient actually doing? You know, I'm not saying by any means that because we don't use GCS that we abandon evaluating if our patient is opening their eyes or talking to us or moving all the things. (laughs) We absolutely should be doing that and we should be doing it on every single patient that we go on and paying attention to the spaces or the things that they're not doing that we expect them to do and then have sort of some shared language. And if not else, maybe the GCS has given us that shared language because everybody knows to think about eye-opening and verbal response and movement. Use that instead as a tool to describe what we find on our patients rather than just thinking that a simple number is giving us any information. And then thinking about reevaluation and recognizing that being able to in a, the most objective way possible, say, oh yeah, when I got on scene, this patient repeated questions, couldn't tell me their name, but was moving everything. And now they're not speaking and I haven't seen them move their left side. That's huge, right? Like that is really great assessment skills and very valuable for the in-hospital providers. Not... <laughs> not to decide whether they need a trauma center or not, right? But does give us a lot of information about sort of what their trajectory of that patient is. Yeah, I I would throw in, in my paramedic practice, I feel like I've currently fallen more on the AVPU scale, which we're probably more familiar with, alert, verbally responsive, painfully responsive or unresponsive, and then throwing in some other objective qualifiers in there. You know, they're intoxicated and only alert to painful stimulation. And I I don't know, I think those things are things we can picture in our head based on other patient experiences versus I can't picture a GCS of 10. I would say that's spot on. And what you just described is so much more helpful than the GCS of 10. And I think at the end of the day, what a lot of us when we're talking to one another or looking for is like something objective that describes what the patient is like. And probably early in in my own medical career, right? It was like, oh, somebody said once that I have to ask for the GCS and and that's going to help me. And so that's the thing that we reach for first. It's the first tool that we say, oh, this is what I should ask for to understand what their mental status is. And really, it's like the worst tool to ask for for the mental status. (laughs) But in our constant quest for objective data points, it seems like an easy one to pull off the shelf, if you will. But I think, especially from the pre-hospital standpoint, when you lead with that, when you provide that information, and I've watched this a lot of times in the trauma bay, and when that information is provided, the number of times the GCS is requested is actually really low. (laughs) So Hmm. I think really what people want is information. And and if you can provide that, especially in a meaningful way, uh, I think everyone is is really excited to abandon the GCS, whether they know it or not. The joke pre-hospitally and probably in your setting as well is GCS is just, you calculate it later after the fact you know, when you're trying to do your report and you have the little cheat sheet right there and you click slide the slider over to five instead of six. And to your point, I think that if there is a value to that GCS number, it is absolutely when the call is over and you can sit down and really think about what that patient was like. I mean, we all know Ben Fisher and the data analyst himself, I think would would be really sad if we didn't at least mention 
<laughs> that again, at what point you decide that you have calculated that GCS or if we actually wanted to make this a usable score, which obviously I have zero interest in doing, but <laughs> if we did, it would be to then further specify like, lowest GCS on scene, right? If we're going to use this for study purposes, what we want everybody to document is the lowest GCS that was on scene, right? Or somehow otherwise standardize that. But I think Ben would be sad if we didn't at least uh, (laughs) say that there is perhaps some value, perhaps, in... (laughs) in that after the call actual calculation. Yeah, check out one of our earlier episodes that talks about why your run report matters with uh, Ben <laughs> Fisher from Nepsis. Uh, but I agree. I, maybe there's some utility in looking at research purposes, but certainly not in the like communication phase or treatment phase. And like when you have a patient in front of you, you're trying to take care of. Well, especially not in the setting that I think we're referring to without explicitly saying, which is a biophone call from a paramedic in the field to a physician in the hospital or a radio encode report, whatever you want to call it, wherever you work, that quick, succinct communication of I'm coming to you with this, that is not the time to try to do this mental math in your head. And it's just not going to be accurate. Yeah, absolutely. So Whitney, what's the most important message you want our listeners to take home after this? Obviously, if you're working in a system where everyone wants to live and die by the GCS, I think at one point you have to respect that, right? If you have to document that on all of your reports and everyone is going to ask you every single time you show up at the hospital, by all means, this is uh, not me or us saying like, just abandon it and tell everybody to pound sand. Um, But a take home for me as a doctor receiving these folks and also out in the field is to really, as a provider, think about the most objective ways we can describe mental status to somebody else. And I think, Will, you hit on a bunch of these with your example, right? Like, is the patient awake? Thinking about that AVPU score. Are they awake? Are they talking? Are they responsive? Starting with that and then providing some additional important salient points of things that are present or absent uh, to help the providers on the other end of the phone make real decisions rather than just sort of making things up. From the pre-hospital trauma triage standpoint, you can absolve yourself of really having to calculate that GCS to decide, does this patient go to our highest level trauma center or someplace that's a lower level? Just by knowing that if you ask the question, can the patient follow commands, that you can probably get to the same thing. So if your patient's not following commands, the highest level trauma center available to you is probably the best place for this patient to go. Probably worth driving the extra five or 10 minutes or 15 minutes to get them there. If they are following commands and they don't meet any other sort of concerning features, then maybe they're okay for that other hospital. I'm going to push you a little bit, Whitney, because I I think this makes a ton of sense and I'm completely on board with you now. And the GCS is not a well-adapted emergency tool. I'm now team burn the GCS down. Sure. If you're a paramedic who works in a system where that is asked of you every time you call in or every time you show up, you have some advocacy to do behind the scenes before you can abandon this. But say you're a paramedic who this isn't protocol per se, but occasionally you get asked about the GCS and you're now realizing GCS, maybe not the best tool for me. And you start using some of these other tools. What happens when you encounter that 
random nurse or doc over the phone who says, hey, what's the GCS? How do you respond to that? That's actually a great question. And I actually see this happen not infrequently, whether it's from surgeons or nurses or whatever else. And I think it's a great space for some scripting for sure. I think most importantly, and we've all seen things fall apart when this doesn't happen, but we have to be honest and respectful. The honest part is sometimes the hardest, which is why I confess to all of you that I've made up GCS scores in the past, uh, which is yeah. <laughs> none of us want to look like we don't know something. And the other piece of that is being respectful because you might know that the GCS is sort of a bad, bad marker for any of the things that we're trying to decide. And so what's worked really well is to be really honest, I haven't calculated the GCS, but let me tell you what their exam is like. And to include sort of some of those key features of the GCS, which help people sort of anchor on things, right? Like the the patient will only awaken when I talk to them. Their eyes have been closed the whole time. When I ask them questions, they just keep repeating their name and they haven't followed any commands, but I've seen them move everything. People will be really receptive to that, I think. They might still roll their eyes or wish that you'd given them a number, but I think when they reflect on it, they'll actually appreciate that you probably gave them some better information than a number in and of itself. So it's a hard thing to own, I think, sometimes to be like, you know, I just didn't I I didn't do that piece of it. But let me tell you what I did do, because what I did is essentially the same thing. It's just going to give you more helpful information. For people who work in a system where GCS is is regularly used, do you think there's any avenues for them to maybe bring about change within their organization? I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the American College of Surgeons recently changed their trauma triage guidelines to just be reflective of motor GCS instead of full GCS anymore. I think whenever a governing body makes a change like that, it's it's great leverage to take back to agencies and hospital systems and everything else to at least start the conversations. Old habits die really hard, and I think we have to appreciate that, and all change in medicine takes a really long time. I think that's a really great conversation starter. It's a thing you can Google and print off and be like, hey, look at this. Like, Do you think it would be reasonable for us to focus more on the motor GCS score and then talk about doing a good exam? I think there's probably a lot of space for that. Yeah. Speaking from the perspective of a paramedic, I would much rather have my medical director empower me and encourage me to assess my patient really well and then professionally communicate that to them versus being hung up on on a number. So we touched on this a little bit, but is is there any use for the Glasgow Coma score at all? I think we have to acknowledge that the GCS has been around for a long time now and has sort of woven its way into many, many aspects of medicine. Whether that's good or not, it's there, and I think we have to acknowledge that and embrace it. When you talk to the neurosurgeons, I think they still feel very strongly that sort of the ability of the GCS to help prognosticate, especially with severe TBI, other things regarding anoxic brain injuries, my cynical hat on, (laughs) we have to go back to the question of, is the number that we get when we calculate this a valid number? But, you know, it's a number and it's been linked to a lot of various outcomes. 
And so thinking about its use in the hospital, perhaps, thinking about its use as a research tool, I think is is probably reasonable. But to have somebody really jump on the soapbox and advocate for it, you might have to find a neurosurgeon or an intensivist to do that for you today. <laughs> But certainly not the neurosurgeons who developed it, because as I was reading, <laughs> they tried to stop everyone from using it, especially outside the ICU. They did. And I actually had a really interesting conversation recently as one of our meetings here in New Mexico. One of the trauma surgeons was there and and I had sort of asked the question about GCS and wondering if there was space to, I don't know, I guess I was just poking the bear a little bit. And the trauma surgeon said, well, you know, I really think where we're going to have like our, like just do a phone recording of the GCS exam. And then we can just send the exam, like the video of the exam to the neurosurgeon. And, and I, oh, well, that's a great point. I think it really gets to the heart of the fact that like, Really what people want is an exam. Nobody actually wants a number. Yeah. Whether the GCS exam is the right one to, to do any of this with or not is a different question. But I think acknowledging that really what everybody wants is an exam that is in some way reproducible is probably an important thing to, to acknowledge. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's kind of wrap it around. So summarize for us all the great points we've talked about. Outside of chart review and data collection, adding up and providing a GCS score is more of a dogma in emergency medical care than a reflection of quality care. If you take a step back to think about what it is we're actually trying to communicate and work within sort of the constraints of your system and use that to establish a means of communicating that same information in a more valuable way, I think that really furthers the continuity of our patient care and the quality of our patient care. So if I were to say, you know, sort of the main take home points, I think, as has been clear in this time together, I think GCS kind of sucks in the acute care setting. It wasn't designed for us. The scoring is rarely consistently reproducible, and it's only probably loosely correlated with outcomes and doesn't actually predict them as well as we think. If I were to come up with a second point, we've talked about this a lot, and you guys both drove this point home. An assessment of the actual neurologic function of our patient is really important. As pre-hospital providers, we need to have a well-practiced and standardized assessment that we're doing on all of our trauma patients that then allows us to describe what is going on with our patient. Because I think we can all agree that our patient is never just about one number, right? There's never one thing that is going to encapsulate everything going on with these scenes and patients that are so dynamic. If I were to give you a third point, this is maybe the hardest one, but rather than making up a number, we should, if directly asked, probably own that we don't have the number, but then think about how we succinctly communicate that same information in an accurate, precise way that is user-friendly really for the person who's providing it and for the team or the hospital group that is receiving it. Great. Thanks, Whitney. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Barrett. I love this. Thank you, guys. It's been fun, as always. 